The primary criticism of cryptocurrency is that it's very insular. A lot of them are just buying and selling based on number go up, including a lot of people in the decentralized finance space. So the main thing that's going to take cryptocurrency out of its internal Ponzi scheme like buying and selling is really some interaction with the real world and betting on external events. So financializing real world events. This is called the Oracle problem. Essentially, someone has to broadcast a source of truth within the network, but then also have a source of truth outside of the network. And it's very incentivized to lie. So how do you incentivize them to tell the truth? Tell me a little bit more about the data sources for Chainlink. Like, how do those data sources get vetted and how does the data make its way onto the chain? Right, absolutely. So there's actually two approaches here. And I think they're both important and the flexibility of how you acquire data is important. The first approach is that you have an Oracle network and that Oracle network is a collection of nodes that are incentivized just like blockchain miners and Bitcoin miners are incentivized. Those nodes are incentivized to go out and get accurate data in order to generate the most accurate, highly reliable result possible. In the first version of how data is put into a smart contract, this Oracle network of anywhere from seven to to over 30 nodes, basically goes to an API at a data provider that is considered a high-quality data provider. Often that's determined by users. So users will say, hey, we want that data provider. Chainlink also has a reputation system where we track how well each node and uh, even more and more now how each data provider is performing. And so better data providers get to continue selling their data to Chainlink networks, whereas worse data providers are kind of not as used by node operators because they're either not responsive or not returning the right results. And so there's, there's actually a reputation system baked into Chainlink. And it's, it's quite fascinating because the system inherently puts all of the data on chain and generates a lot of proof about what's going on with the oracles. In any case, in, in the first variant of the system, you can go to any data provider, you can go to really any API in the world, and you can request from it. And you can come to consensus on the data from that source, assuming you can get other sources or you can come to some model of consensus that, that the user wants around that data. And that doesn't require the data provider to do anything, right? So the benefit of this system is that you have a layer of consensus and you have a lot of proof that the data was acquired from a data provider. And the data providers don't need to change anything about their infrastructure, right? So the data providers just continue to provide their APIs, operate the way they have always operated, and just do what they're supposed to be doing. This is the system through which you know, a good amount of the data is acquired, and then the data providers are more than happy to sell their data to Chainlink nodes because it's, it's consumed into these applications, which, which they're all excited about. The second version is when a data provider runs their own Chainlink node. And what that basically means is the data provider gets a lightweight signing appliance. They basically get a lightweight signing application that allows them to connect their APIs internally to their own official node. And then that node publishes a contract on chain. And that on-chain contract is a representation of that data provider, right? So now there's an on-chain contract that's the representation of that data provider's services. And that on-chain contract gets requests from other smart contracts for data to be given to them. Because once again, a blockchain cannot talk to an API. A blockchain has to have an oracle to speak with any API in the outside real world. And so the second variant is where data providers that are more interested in 
kind of selling their data to the blockchain ecosystem or more convinced about that. And we have many data providers already doing this live. We have data for sports events, weather events, market events, all kinds of things out in the real world already live on production with data providers running their own production nodes. This variant allows you to get data essentially directly from an official node run by a data provider. It has the benefits of getting data directly from a data provider running their own node. It has the limitation in that the data provider now has to be able to make sure that they are properly connected, you know, that their APIs stay up according to the node and all these other kinds of nuances. The benefit that they get is they are connected to many different chains all at once. And in reality, this variant basically requires the data provider to want to opt into some kind of infrastructure. It requires them to want to say that, hey, I want to kind of run a function in the cloud or I want to run some kind of node myself and I, and I want to make a technical investment in that. What we found so far is that the majority of data providers just want to sell their data to somebody and they want to provide that to an Oracle network that just retrieves their data and sells that data successfully to a smart contract. There are some data providers that want to run their own node and we're working with a lot of those. But I think that's something that's going to evolve more slowly. You mentioned this reputation system for how data gets verified as quality. How does that reputation system work? How do you vet and ensure quality data? So once again, there's two levels. There's one level of, of the node operators and assuring that they're operating properly. And then there's the level of the data providers responding properly. In terms of the node operators... The way that the Chainlink system works is that node operators are committing to certain service level commitments, right? They're basically, in many cases, on chain, committing to a certain degree of service. And they're committing to that because the on chain activity that they do is immediately public to everybody as soon as it happens, right? So I think the big nuance difference between a reputation system in the web world and a reputation system in the blockchain world is that data is immediately available publicly. It is immediately available for people to know that a node did not respond for a certain period of time. And that lack of response is recorded on chain immutably for everybody to analyze. And we actually have multiple ecosystem teams. We have multiple kind of block explorer-like things and, and marketplaces that are all able to analyze the same data about both node operators and data providers. So basically, the way that it looks is that the node operators are expected to perform to a certain degree on-chain. Those expectations are clear. They are then able to perform, or in some cases, if they're not able to perform, they are you know, not able to stay on that Oracle network. And then the data providers themselves, for the ones that run their own nodes, it becomes pretty clear what their responses are. And if their responses are often wrong, then you know, once again, that data provider and their node might not be used in an aggregation. They might not be applied to that aggregation. In the cases where a node operator gets data from a data source, a lot of that data is actually more internal to the Oracle network. And that data is something that's in the process of, of getting published on chain. So there is a certain amount of insight that node operators have about the responsiveness of different data providers and different data sources. At this point, the reputation system extends to node operators and to the node operators that are data sources. It will continue and is already being extended to cover data providers. 
And that's another kind of piece that's coming and is already working for node operators in how they choose data providers and is something that's going to be made more public. Let's talk a little bit about the architecture of Chainlink. Can you tell me about the different types of smart contracts that are stood up to compose what Chainlink operates as? Sure, sure. I think the simplest way to think about Chainlink is that you're creating an on-chain interface between an off-chain service, resource, or computational environment, right? So what you're really creating is you're creating an on-chain contract that can receive transactions from other contracts that basically request specific types of data, specific types of computations like randomness, and in many cases require you to make a commitment to provide that, right? And it actually varies in terms of the use cases, right? So there's variants of, of Chainlink networks that create something called reference data. Reference data is a piece of data that's used by many different contracts. And we have some of the top DeFi protocols using our reference data to settle their protocols and transactions and in lending and derivatives and insurance and various other financial products. And what reference data does is it creates an on-chain aggregation from multiple nodes. And then that aggregation is then provided through an interface, through another interface, that allows people to read that data and to use it in their contract, right? So that's one way to interface with Chainlink validated data. Another way to interface is something called the request model. The request model is when you actively request a specific computation, a specific piece of data, a specific randomness from something like Chainlink VRF, where you basically have a designation, a job ID, that you feed in and you use to trigger a request. So I, I think that the nuance around understanding what Oracle's do and what Chainlink is, is around both the interface, the interface that allows people to consume all this data in different ways. And it's kind of a roundabout answer to your question because it's as varied as the different use cases want to consume data, which is quite varied, and also the type of data they want to consume. And then this interface is replicated across all the different blockchain environments, but in many cases goes back to the same kind of core Oracle network for that piece of data, and then that retrieves the data from specific sources. But I think the simplest way to think about an Oracle and an Oracle network is that you're creating an on-chain contract that is acting as the kind of the interface, right? Just like APIs are an interface into people's web backends, oracles are kind of another onion layer on top of APIs that act as the interface for people to interact with those services from a smart contract. And those interactions are, are very varied. They can be on a schedule where you, you tell the interface that you want them to send data you know, at a certain point in time or... In some of our keepers functionality, we actually can watch contracts and the Oracle network chooses when to send them data based on the certain conditions that contracts have or haven't met. And so it's more and more advanced depending on how people want to, to receive the data or how they want the off-chain service to interact with them. 